Okay, welcome to 9394 Music Podcast with me. I'm Travis. How's it going? Hope you're good. I'm doing pretty okay. In the timeline that I'm currently living in, I don't know when you're listening to this, but for me at least, it's starting to become fall. It's my prime time. I'm very excited about this. So I'm in a good mood for it. The trick now is to just not get sick. Fingers crossed. This episode today, I'm talking all about the album Trashed from the band Lagwagon. And I'm talking about it with my buddy Luke Horlbeck. Now, Luke and I are old friends and we have a lot in common besides just our love for Lagwagon. We are a couple of loquacious dudes and podcasters, naturally, because that's what happens when you talk a lot. You start a podcast. So we have a lot to say about this subject and we had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you for joining us. Hey. Hey there. Can you hear me all right? I can. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? It's good. Good to hear your voice and see your face. I'm doing well. Thank you for joining the show. I really appreciate you coming on. It's not our first time podcasting together by a long stretch, but it is our first time together on this particular show. Tell the people about the other show that you have that I've been on a couple times. Oh, the, thank you for allowing me to plug. Yeah, please do. Do a podcast called Is It Safe? Uh, is it safe with a question mark? And we talk about sundry things, uh, various topics, and I have more of like a political bent. Uh, my buddy, co-host Steve, is uh, very intelligent and scientific, and he's one of those people that will, uh, he'll always be there to set the record straight when I go off on my rants. And uh, and then Govier, Mike Govier is our host extraordinaire, and you know, he's amazing. And if you like conversations that kind of go anywhere, but uh, try to stay relevant, at least, you know, I think, we try to keep the conversations relevant to people's personal lives. We you know, are pretty much open books on that show. We, we talk about our lives. And I think I've always appreciated that about other podcasters who do it. You know, sometimes it's a little frustrating when you listen to a show for a couple of years and you realize you don't know anything about these people mm-hmm. at all. So, uh, you know, we want to make it approachable, relatable, and we open the door for, you know, emails to the show. And I think that's a fun way to, you know, engage with the audience. Right on. Yeah. And dude, I got to say, 9394 pod, it's addicting, man. It's so good. Oh, thank you so much. It is so good. I love it. I'm like digging in and, and just every episode it's so far is just incredible. Thanks, dude. Yeah. I was laughing to uh, you and Morgan were talking about when you played Disarm. <laughs> I thought that was going to be just like my personal memory and I was going to bring it up on the show and talk about how... <laughs> how much of it like an odd impact that had on me because you know we we ate lunch together and stuff but like you know I didn't know you personally that well and I actually didn't know that you were full-fledged musician at the time and but man I just (laughs) that you know when you think about memories from like middle school I've got like five you know I, I really do I don't have a lot left and that has stuck with me for so long and I was like, oh, I'm going to bring it up on the show. It's going to be really fun. And then Morgan talked about it. And then you were like, yeah, people have talked about it. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, man, you must have made a real impact because that was such a cool performance. Played on an acoustic guitar in front of the whole school. It was incredible. And so that was my introduction to Smashing Pumpkins. And I literally, I heard you and I liked you better. And I didn't like <laughs> just didn't like Billy Corgan's voice. I couldn't get behind it. But, you know, years have passed. And, of course, I I see how silly that is. That's so funny. So you've tipped the audience towards how we know each other. We went to school together. We went to the same middle school. We went to the same high school together. After high school, we did live together for a few months at one point at a place known as The Dump. Oh, boy. For reasons. For good reasons. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, I don't even think it was uh, good reasons. I think it was Coomer walking around and goes, this place is a fucking dump, dude. And then it stuck and whatever. I, I wasn't a fan of it at the time. Those of us that lived there were never really a fan of it because yeah. <laughs> it gave everyone that came to visit us the excuse to treat our place like a garbage bin. <laughs> yes, yes, they definitely did. And I will say- And they did. And the Brothers Peak- you fuckers, you motherfuckers, I swear <laughs> to God. I have never felt like they put me into, you know, like the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They made me feel like I was a prison guard. I was like, I had to constantly keep an eye on them because you never fucking knew what they were going to do. Morgan put his head through one of our windows, like literally put a hole in the window. It was his hand. He punched. Oh, it was his it. hand. He yeah. punched through. Okay. I thought yeah. it was his head. He had resentment towards us. And I feel like that was deserved. That was okay. <laughs> and then Jeff. Jess, Jess, uh, man, he and I talked about it at the last feast. He was like, dude, I've never seen anybody so pissed in my life because I had to like <laughs> grab him because he was like throwing ketchup on the wall or something. I was like, oh, my God. And he was like, he does not act scared at all. And I was, it was making me more furious. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of them uh, routinely kept me up at like 5 a.m. by screaming outside the house and throwing beer bottles <laughs> against the wall like our friends Steve and Keith did. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I remember getting out of the car with Steve once and he had like, it was his fast food days before he became a pescatarian. And he he just got out of the truck and just like, dumped an entire pile of trash into our parking lot and didn't touch it. God damn that it. about sums up our time living together <laughs> in a like, lot of ways. Crap. Well, the thing that sums it up for me the most is I was going to school and I was really into philosophy and that's obviously yeah. that's what I studied. Yeah. And yeah. you and I would sit there and just wax philosophically and, and talk for fucking hours. And I felt like, you know, as crazy as that house was, you know, it was such a supportive environment. You know, I had, Liberty there. And, you know, he's my best friend from way back. And then being able to, you know, really talk about things that I was super enthusiastic about, very passionate about with someone else who also shared the same passions, you know, and I'd give you books that like I barely read and you'd like rip through them. And then you'd have all these, you'd have all these points and questions. I'm like, oh, fuck, I didn't do the reading. <laughs> I did not know that part. <laughs> I just, I just knew that I was like getting like this degree in philosophy by proxy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It was nice. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're just a natural born philosopher. So, oh, well, and, you. you know, those conversations were so smooth and, and I felt like I got so much out of them. And I, I remember actually like things that you would say, I would actually incorporate into my essays. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would build around the arguments or comments and, you know, I'm endlessly uh, grateful to uh, even having known you, man. I truly, you know, I love the time that we lived together. And honestly, like, it was great. You know, things don't work out here. If you need a roommate, you know, just let me know. <laughs> Thanks, man. and I are talking, listener, pretty familiar with one another because we've been friends for so long. We come from the same huge friends group and one of the albums that was I think like this core album to our group in a lot of ways was the 1994 album Trashed from Lagwagon. Lagwagon as a whole I think was one of those really unifying bands. I talked about this when I had Steve Guile on and we talked about No Effects' Punk and Drublick. This is definitely another one of those bands and one of those albums. Do you remember getting into this album? I do, actually. So I'll confess, I was not into this album or aware of it really uh, when it came out, you know, in 94. So this is when the Posse, you know, the Posse is this big group of friends Travis is talking about. And, you know, the Posse was always up on all the new punk rock albums. And so I was a punk by proxy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was I, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, this was a core album for me as I, my first introduction to Lagwagon was Double Platinum, which, you know, I still love to this day. And Choke is still one of my favorite songs ever. I 
just have no idea how this guy does this stuff with his voice. Joey Cape has one of the coolest voices I've ever heard, but in punk rock, man, he's like gold standard. Yeah, I agree. You cut me off, I cut you down, down. Rated words. All these words that I said, the same words that you heard. We can only agree to disagree. So I started listening to additional albums. So I got into like Trash, Toss, Duh. I got into all of those. I think kind of just out of high school mostly. Like so right as I was going into college and really digging in, that's when yeah. I became like a super fan. That's funny. I mean, I was definitely still listening to punk in the like late high school after high school. But that's when I started graduating, I guess, into screamo and hardcore and yes. other stuff. I remember my brother had this cassette, Trash, he must have got it in 94 yeah and it was like so there were some bands and i mentioned this when my brother was on to talk about bad religions recipe for hate there were some bands that i liked but i kind of thought of as his bands you know and Lagwagon kind of started off that way because it was like he had the cassette and i was like i like this this is good and then i got more into punk rock like the following year like 95 96 is when i really got into punk so it wasn't that long after so i was able to kind of go back and be like okay and especially when i got really into hoss and it didn't yeah. hurt that every friend I had was obsessed with this album. So it just kind of rubbed yes. off on me and it became an album that I listened to all the time. But listening to it the past couple of weeks or so, I've really done this album a disservice because when I think of Lagwagon, I'm like, okay, I'll throw on Haas. And that's pretty much what I'll throw on if I'm feeling like the yes. Lagwagon mood. And I have not thrown on this album in way too long. And it is much better than I remembered. And I remembered it positively, but it's way better than I remembered, way more... Um, impactful on me than i think i remembered and even some of the songs that are on there i'm like oh yeah i kind of thought that was on Hoss, but no no it's not like rust for instance yes yes that happens to me all the time especially with these punk rock albums and especially when they were like releasing them one after another yeah and yearly really short yeah yearly and the same thing for me like there were a couple of songs and i'm like oh i thought that was Hoss as well and Hoss is usually my go-to but trash came out in 94 so you know that's uh, it just reminded me of how, you know, important that that album was. And it's funny you you mentioned it was like your older brother's music because they literally have an album called "I Think My Older Brother Used right? to Listen to Lagwagon," <laughs> uh, which is perfect because that's like how my brother got into punk rock. It was because yeah. of Lagwagon, you know, like it was uh, they're like approachable in a way. And so I, I kind of put them between like No Effects and Bad Religion in terms of like the way they communicate, like the themes they talk about, and you know, like No Effects to me was probably technically superior. I don't know. I know that people are like Steve is huge. I mean, huge yeah. No Effects fan. He probably put No Effects above Lagwagon. But for me, No Effects had such a goofy streak <laughs> that I there were just things I couldn't get behind. And and you know me, I'm a I can be a fairly overly serious person and a fairly over serious thinker and. Lagwagon was about as goofy as I really wanted to get. Yeah. And, you know, like songs like, uh, I forget what the name of the song is, where they're tearing up the neighbor's yard. Stoke at the neighbor. Yeah, Stoke at the neighbor's, thank you. Yeah. And it's a great song, but that's probably as silly as I wanted punk to be, because I was really into the punk idea. And because I kind of came to punk a little bit later, Bad Religion for me was like the that was the gold standard for me just because like i've never listened to a band where like i honestly would need to grab a dictionary and like learn <laughs> right and i fucking love that i just thought that was amazing but Lagwagon was like kind of right in between it was like approachable they talked about real shit like rust like my favorite song on the album okay yeah it hits hard obviously all their songs do but there's messaging in it there's like big it's such a real message it's yeah. a real message and that's something i found 
you know, it's just so appealing to me. And I just was digging through Lagwagon, just every single album. You know, I love them all, but you know, Trash was probably the first time I broke away from like the double platinum, like the、mm -hmm. really popular kind of more poppy sound, and started to feel like I was, you know, being kind of integrated into a punk community. Oh, right on. Which is where I found the fellowship in my life, and where I found like the real love. Like I had. Other friends. The reason this is important to me, and the reason you know punk rock was important to me, and you know being kind of tangentially incorporated into you know the posse, the crew. I kind of lived on the outskirts. Perfect metaphor is like we lived near a lake, but didn't have lake access. You know, like you know, I was all, we always had to sneak in, and we never had that that type of middle class、uh, like luxury or whatever growing up, and. You know, Liberty is the reason that I even really knew all of you guys because you guys were all such close friends. And no shade to my other friends, but you know, I always felt like I was as an outsider in this like very middle class like group of people who all lived in suburbs and had nice computers. And you know, I would go to my friend's house and he would play the computer game, and I would sit there and watch. Like I wasn't even allowed to engage. You know, so I, I always had this strange distance. Their level of luxury, their level、uh -huh. of it didn't fit for me. But when I started spending more time with you guys, I mean, it really felt like you know these are my people. <laughs> these、Fellowship. my people. They they care about real things. They're pissed about the right things. And not to mention, you guys were fucking wild and hilarious. And that was, I mean, come on. <laughs> We were all like、uh, a lot of us were latchkey kids.、Uh, a lot of us came from divorced families. Lower middle income kind of folks, and you know, so definitely a little wilder maybe than your other friends group, for sure. Yes, this is why like Lagwagon and this album in particular. I mean, the angst and it, the anxiety about growing up, the the not knowing where you're gonna be, the the fear of like death, and、yeah. you know, the references to suicide in this album, and it, that is the kind of. Place that I've been at, you know, like、yeah. I think about those things and other people that I knew that that had more or less very comfortable lives. I mean, still to this day, amazing friends of mine. But you know, you can't escape the fact that their comfort, I think, really impacted how they see the world. And、sure. I didn't feel like I connected as well, you know, with them on certain issues. Punk rock serving as the means of building fellowship between our friends group because we were all in bands or a lot of us were. Yeah. So and then we all listened to the same albums and we're piled into the same cars and the same parties and all that kind of stuff. So it was very based around punk rock and and a lot around Lagwagon. And I agree with your assessment earlier about how Lagwagon really straddles this line in punk between dealing with social issues and like major things, but also having like this other foot in goofiness and just kind of carefree,、yes. like let's get drunk at it. <laughs> yes, I remember like when Duh came out. My brother like Duh. I never really got that into Duh. I still have respect for it, but it's never been like my go-to album of theirs by any stretch because I found it a little goofy, beer goggles and that kind of stuff. And then this album came out. I mean, it kicks off with Island of Shame, which is such a bold song for 1994. I mean, yes, I mean that was. Four years before Matthew Shepard was lynched. Yes, we forget. I think how comfortable we are. Well, maybe we're getting less comfortable as fascism continues to creep into this country. <laughs>、yeah. But it was like so normalized that we just called it gay bashing. Like even the term itself was so loaded、yeah. uh, of of the hate crimes that were commonplace in the late. 80s, early 90s. So I thought it was really cool that they started their album with that, with Island of Shame, and like with、yes. that kind of messaging. And then they can still just pivot right into something like Stoke and the Neighbors or、um, <laughs> right <laughs> or Know It All. Dealing with like a serious quote unquote issue, it's music and it's talking about snobbery. But as a fourteen, fifteen year old kid, I needed to hear that song and be、yes. like, okay, I need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were almost that DJ, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. You could have been. If you didn't hear that, you could have been. <laughs> yeah, I trod down that path a little bit of extreme pretension about music. I'm sure I didn't walk away completely from that. But my favorite song on this album, I actually. 
I struggled a little bit, but I ended up picking the song that has always been my favorite song. And I used to cover this in my high school band, Punk Like Urson, with Steve, who's been on the show. And Steve reminded me that we used to cover um, another song on this album I'll talk about later, but I had forgotten about it. But we used to cover Bye For Now. album ender so it has this big lofty feel to it and it's super sing-alongy a lot of lagwagon i think was kind of prepping me for some emo stuff that i was going to get into later bad astronaut you know i think that's evidence of that in joey cape stylings but now as an adult man listening to that song and thinking about our friends group i was ghosted by a friend of ours who's been our friend for 30 years and this dude just ghosted me like I was a fucking Tinder date. And I had to like, you know, he blocked me on all communication. I had to like track him down and be like, what is going on? And uh, he just didn't want to be my friend anymore. I'm like, oh, okay, that's okay. okay. That's, that's your decision. And, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to let you down. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> Bye for now, because my assumption is that you will get your head out of your ass eventually and come back to being my friend again, you know? So it's like. I don't know. It was important to me then, and it struck me a lot in recent listens. You know, I, I can relate to this friend. I mean, you're, you just seem like such an objectionable person. I, <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. No, I, do, I find that to be, that, yeah, it's insanity to me. I mean, yes, Spy For Now is, that was another struggle I had. I, that was another one I wanted to, I definitely, I wouldn't call it underrated, but you know, you asked for four songs, so. Right. But that one is, it's so good. and right in like you know the high school experience like early college it just like spoke to that true fear that you know i, I won't have this belonging anymore and i'm gonna mm -hmm. lose the people that i love and yeah. i don't want to be that you know i don't want to be that person that just drifts away and doesn't have that contact anymore doesn't share that that friendship that sometimes transcends you know intermittent contact mm -hmm. there are people that i don't talk to for years but you know Every once in a while, I'll shoot him a text and we'll have a phone call. And it's amazing. It's like we just pick up right where we left off. That's always been you and me. I mean, you and I, for instance. Always. There's been times where we were, like like we said, living together or close to each other, where we saw each other regularly and talked regularly. And then a few years would go by and maybe we'd only see each other once a year or something. But yep. there's never a feeling of a lag wagon. Uh, <laughs> <in there. laughs> Sorry. Damn, that was that was tight. That was tight, bro. What is it with punk bands and their fucking puns, though? I mean, like, you can tell that Fat Mike produced this album. <laughs> I didn't realize he was on, um, what was that second song? Lazy? I had no idea it was him. I feel so much better. <laughs> fucking listen to this album for so long. I felt and like an idiot. Like, I felt like an idiot, too. I'm listening to him like, holy shit, that's Fat Mike. And I double checked to make sure I'm like, yeah, that's Ben Fat Mike the whole time. <laughs> yep. Yep. I just thought it was, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was another dude in the band. It was hilarious. I did too. I just wasn't listening closely enough. I don't know how I missed it. It's really obvious. I just stoned out, I guess. But back in the day, you didn't have the internet. And I wasn't necessarily the kind of guy that was like pouring over the album, like the personnel and stuff. So I always kind of felt like the first three albums, especially the second and third, were my favorite. And I like Double Platinum and I like Let's Talk About Feelings, but I tuned out after Let's Talk About Feelings. And I always mm -hmm. felt like there was a big shift at Double Platinum. But now I know it's because, well, that's when they changed personnel. That's when they lost Sean Dewey, I think, for that album. And then Derek Plored, like the following album. And then Jesse Buglione. These guys were like the guitarist, the drummer, yes. the bass player, and uh, anymore, just uh, Flippin and Cape are the only ones left. But I yes. really feel like there was that sweet spot when they all really worked well together. And you can hear, like, especially uh, the way that the bass player and Chris Flippin were able to just move along at, at, at the same kind of power riffs, like really in tandem. 
Yeah. And I think that when we were talking about Joey Cape's voice, for instance, I mean, yeah. that like it's so percussive and mm. it's so interesting to me. It's one of the first bands that I listened to where like it's hard to even read along. Like if you've got the lyrics pulled up and yeah. sing along with the song, it's like almost impossible to wrap your mind around it. You know, it's one of those like hot water music does that too. Like their lyrics come out in a paragraph just with no grammar. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense because that's how they punctuate everything they're trying to say. And Cape just has that natural ability. It's so incredible. It, it imbues every single word with energy, whether it's a some goofy shit they're talking about, like yeah. even beer goggles. When he says beer goggles, it is insane. I just, <laughs> you know, maybe the lyrics yeah. could be different. I mean, it's, but it's so cool right, the way it's so cool the way he's he got great delivery. That. Yeah, he's got oh, great my, delivery. delivery. Yeah, that's what I'm looking yeah. for. But my God. Yeah. How about the uh, most underrated song in this album? This is what I really struggled with. Cause like you said, like I didn't want to pick my second favorite and what's so there is plenty that I could call yes. my second favorite, but I was trying to find one that I had underrated. What did you find? So this could be controversial because mm-hmm. Know It All is my favorite song on the album. Technically my favorite like sing-along song. It's so perfect. It's, it's like such a perfect song, but I feel like because it kind of toes that line of being like overly popular punk, uh, like closer to something they would have done on like Double Platinum, that I feel like maybe people didn't like it as much because they want to be real ones and it's not as pure punk as everything else on the album. My assumption would be that would be underrated, but when it comes to something underrated, uh, you know, I have to speculate as to what other people might think about it. And so that was my second choice. Uh, The other one was uh, No One. the one I felt like was pretty underrated. Yeah, that one kind of slips in toward the end there and it kind of can pass by a little bit. Know it all, I feel like, since it is poppy and kind of like a sing-along one with, but it's hard, like you say, it's hard to gauge what people liked and didn't like, especially 30 years later. So when I try and think of like the most underrated song, I try and approach it like, what have I been underrated? Because I can't Mm -hmm. really, uh, you know, I don't know what other people are doing necessarily. Well, okay, Uh, on that point then, I would say it's Stoking the Neighbors. Because for me, that's not a song I would skip, but it was definitely never one of my favorite songs. And listening to it again this last uh, week or so, I was like, this song fucking rips. It's great. You know, subject matter, whatever is maybe not my favorite, but you know, I realized that I love that song a lot more than I ever thought I did. You picked three songs now for your. Most I know, underrated. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, no, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with Stoking the Neighbors. I'm okay. Stick with Stoking the Neighbors because I literally, I almost didn't like it for the last 20 years. Oh but really? Listening to it again, yeah. Listening to it again, I'm like, nah, that song fucking rips. I love it. It rips. I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to be able to talk about that because it has two of my favorite moments of the whole album. I think the highlight of the entire album is when they come out of that kind of like. You want to go for a ride, Chris? And then that fucking (laughs) ripping, like, two-bar solo, lightning hot. (laughs) I mean, that's just, like, the whole album, that's just the apex right there. It's so incredible. It's so cool. And then also, every single time he says, Dave's a midnight landscaper, and he's working every time. (laughs) I laugh. I still laugh. Like every time I hear it, it's so funny. It's such a good like turn of phrase. It's yeah. such good wordplay. When I listened to it 20 years ago, it was like that was goofy to me. But listen to it now, I'm like, man, that's fucking dope. <laughs> that's I love it. Yeah, I want to start Lagwagon cover band and call it the Midnight Landscapers. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I'd listen. I think that's a great choice. For me, I had to pick one because Stoke in the Neighbors was one that I considered as like definitely a, like a second favorite on the album. Mm-hmm. But I had to go with what have I been sleeping on? What have I not been paying enough attention to? And I ended up going with Give It Back. Yeah.
kind of like how you went with Russ. Oh, great. This heavy material. They're talking about some sort of childhood abuse. Yes. And how, how he wants his abuser to kill himself, which is so fucking like, yes, all right, don't hold back. Let us know how you feel. Like his father before him, oh, he kills himself, yeah. Yeah, it's intense. And then all of that's happening, again, with just this completely, like, synced up, the way that the riffs and the bass player, like, they're just so on point with one another, flipping and Buglioni, or however you say his last name, that whole track is just on fire, then it's over, like, in two and a half minutes, you're like, oh, okay. Whew. Yes. <laughs> Dude, yeah, you know, it is, and I love the way they speak to suffering. In, like, all of their albums, you know, you'll find these little songs where it's just, I mean, it's basically saying, like, yeah, like, I've got your back. If you're in this situation, too, like, you know, fucking give it back. Like, don't fucking let this, like, run your life, ruin yeah, your life. Good best thing. An ex-girlfriend that I had was, she was abused by her stepfather for years. And, you know, it was so weird the way she would talk about it. And honestly, I was so inspired by the way she dealt with it because she did not let it define her her whole life. Because she could have. I mean, there are things that happen to me that aren't half as bad and they still define me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's just in the spirit of that song give it back and she just didn't want that to fucking define who she was she just was like nah fuck him he's a piece of shit i know that i know that now i don't know it, it's it's intense <laughs> there's a very intense theme and they, like you said they bounce from that they'll go from stuck yeah. to your neighbors right to, like give it back it's and crazy. that and that is what i love about i mean i think that a lot of people that know me well um they know that when i talk i typically want to if I'm in conversation with you, I want to wax philosophical like you were saying, but I also will probably descend into some really stupid territory that is not related to anything. And they will probably be within a breath of one another. So I, I, I really <laughs> respect that. <laughs> right. I think that is a main line in the punk ethos is the idea that, you know, both things are happening at the same time. I'm saying funk the system. I am saying like, we have to you know, be together here. Like we have more important things to worry about, but I'm also saying like, we're going to go tear shit up on Saturday night. And you know, I'm going to write a song about that. Yeah. It's songs about like, it feels like real life. It feels like everything these guys are actually going through almost like a journal of some sort. You know what? You're right. Cape is not just a great vocalist. He's a really good lyricist. Yes. This is some really personal stuff. On every level, personal, like vulnerable and personal, like, hey, here's this dumb story about my friend's drunk driving. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Now, this is not a perfect album, though, in my opinion. There is mm -hmm. flaw. What is, in your opinion, the weakest oh, song on this album? God, uh, I mean, without question, I mean, you do not need to cover Brown Eyed Girl. That is so it's fucking the stupid. fucking worst. I still skip it. It's one of the worst covers I've ever heard. It's just, it so doesn't bad. need to be covered. It's a fucking, it's an okay song. It's for like, you know, teenagers who are, you know, trying to get laid from. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's so juvenile. And yeah. I think the version of it, it sucks. It's not a good song for punk rock. It is completely lacking in any sort of energy or like feeling. It feels so mechanical yes. and just like, hey, let's do this in the studio. The whole album is full of heart. Then you get to their cover of Brown Eyed Girl, and it's just like a fucking cover band. Like, it's like, I feel like I'm at a bar. Not even as good as Me First and the Gimme Gimme's either. Like, no, they made no. some great covers. Well, I think part of the problem is Brown Eyed Girl. Look, I love Van Morrison. Yes. I said on the show before that he got me through my 30s in a lot of ways. Like, I love Van Morrison, but I've always disliked Same. Brown Eyed Girl. It's just a trite song, and I think it was a terrible cover. I'm not crazy about, I mean, I don't like to consider the hidden tracks to be like the weakest track on the album, but also like if you can't get the rights to the lyrics of a oh song, my God. do the not LL make cool J. Yeah, uh, do not yeah. make up your own lyrics and change it. Like, don't call it a movement. There's other ways of saying it. Call it a 
live. Just play it live for people. We'll be impressed and surprised then. Like, no one wants, you know, it, it was yes. like, yeah, so both the covers on this album. Putting that hidden track on, I don't like hidden tracks at all. I think they're fucking yeah. stupid. What's the point? Yeah, well, I'm glad they stopped doing that. So we've talked about all three of the main songs. But now, what song do you want to use to ride out on for this episode? Coffee and Cigarettes. That's the one. <laughs> coffee yeah, and Cigarettes. Coffee and Cigarettes. Hell yes. Why that? What do you love about that song? Uh, man, so this one, first of all, it rips as usual. Yeah. But I also think thematically speaking, I mean, it's like the linchpin to the whole thing. And I think it's a big part of all of the anxiety that, you know, you experience going through different phases in your in your life and your development, especially when you start to become like very aware and conscious of things around you. But you want to create, yet you just you've lost it and you don't have I mean, he says, where's my ambition? And I think that line always kind of hits me because I struggle with that a lot. I have plenty of ideas. I have plenty of things I want to do. And I sometimes feel like I'm just hitting a wall and Mm. I don't understand. But I think there's just something deeper to that experience. I mean, we all have it. Many of us end up feeling like lacking or like we didn't do enough in life and we didn't reach the potential that we thought we saw or even maybe experienced briefly for, you know, for a moment at some point. So I think it's a great song and his expressions in there are, are so, so important and it feels so true. I mean, every time I write a write a love letter or a a birthday card or something, you know, I, I just none of the words suffice for anything that I want to say and anything that I want to do. And I always feel slightly disconnected when it comes time to communicate. Hmm. I think that the structure of that song also is complicated. It kind of mirrors the complications of the lyrics and the way that it's not a very conventional setup in terms of how it's Mm. moving around. And then also he's tapping into all this stuff as what his early twenties. Yeah. He's already seen some shit. It sounds like. Yeah. And he's going through it, you know, he's going through it and he's such a good translator of that type of angst. Right on. And I truly, truly appreciate it. And I didn't realize how much I love this song. This could have been the underrated one, but I'm glad that we get to uh, listen to this on the way up. Good. Is there uh, an MVP of this album for you? Man, I don't know who plays bass, but that guy, fucking amazing. That was Jesse Buglioni. I think I'm pronouncing that right. My God. Incredible. Yeah. And this was produced by Fat Mike? And Lagwagon, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you listen to it, I mean, the bass is so heavy. It's unique in that way. Fat Mike, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I was hearing the bass more than I do in virtually any other punk album other than No Effects. So I think that it just like kind of blew me away. I just was tuned into that a little bit more than I I would have been in the past. Right on. He is an underrated bass player from any genre. I mean, the stuff he's doing on this album alone, it's incredibly intricate. I have to give it up to Chris Flippin personally. I I just, the squeedly D's and the riffage that just drive (laughs) this album, you know, it's just, it's just, it's so frantic, but like controlled at the same time and constant. Frantic. Yes. The way that he and the bass player I'm going to try it again. Buglioni, the way that they uh, work together, they're just so, I mean, I've mentioned it already, but they're just so meshing well together. It really, really, really works. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. I completely agree. The end of every show, I typically have some questions for my guest host and, you know, I'd, I'd like to try and tailor them to the person when possible. And it's funny, you and I clearly have really fond memories about our times talking philosophy, living at the dump Mm. together in the early 2000s, because I have a list here of (laughs) five books, five books that you either loaned me or gave me, actually maybe six books. Did you ever read Low Side of the Road, that Tom Waits biography that you gave me? I did not. I did not. I didn't think you did. So I won't ask you your opinion about that one, but I've got five other books here that I know that you read (laughs) and I'm going to let you pontificate about one of them. Almost okay, as much okay. as you want. <laughs> okay, so, that's good. I want you to try and pick what you think is the most important or best or favorite or whatever of these five books that you introduced me to. So number one, you were talking about on Is It Safe not that long ago when uh, Ryan Liberty passed, you and I were reading The Prophet by Khalil Gibran to him in his, mm-hmm. what turned out to be his deathbed. And uh, that book had a tremendous impact on me. I would buy it for other people and share it with other people for years after that. When I think of you, that's probably the first book that comes to mind. You also loaned me a book by Jean-Paul Sartre. I think it was No Exit and Three Other Plays. And I know it started with No Exit and The Flies. I don't remember the other plays in there. Does that sound right? No Exit and Three Other Plays? Absolutely does. I think it might have just been No Exit and Flies, but yeah. So that, whatever that was. 
And I remember the book cover too. I remember the book cover too. I can see it. You also introduced me to a few Herman Hesse books, in particular, The Glass Bead Game. Hmm. You know, I was going to bring that one up. You also, um, you didn't introduce, well, you know, you had me read, I think I can thank you for introducing me to one of my all-time favorite authors, Fyodor Dostoevsky. I borrowed the Brothers Karamazov from you and trashed it. I just, I returned that to you in the worst possible state. (laughs) I felt so terrible. (laughs) It looked like it had gone through hell. It was in the back. It was, I remember seeing, this is another memory. It was in the back seat, like on the top, like behind the seat in the yeah, back like, under, like underneath just the cooking, rear window just roasting in the sun yeah the, and like the cover I, turned white like, yeah the <laughs> pages curled like fingers <laughs> for the record i bought you another copy and replaced that one yes you did and then lastly um i can only assume you like michael hulbeck because your name is luke horlbeck michelle welbeck yeah michelle welbeck is that how you say it yeah okay yeah the elementary particles which I don't know if that one necessarily qualifies as philosophy as much, but it's certainly uh, a major book that you were into that you actually gave me that book. Dude, and that guy is such an oddball. You should look him up uh, after the show. He's got some hilarious, weird things. Like he went missing for a while. Like huh. he's a very strange guy. In that list, The Prophet has a place that is part of a keystone, I think, in my life. Something like Glass Beat Game is, is talking about concepts that I was actually a little averse to. You know, it's kind of a Buddhist document, and I think it helped in a way, but I steer away from Eastern philosophy quite a bit. And in that particular book, he also wrote, oh, shoot, what was the Buddha one? The Siddhartha. Thank you, Siddhartha. Jesus. Yeah. Um, My favorite is Narcissus and Goldman, for the record. But Okay, yeah, I love Siddhartha as well. But the book there that is probably the most meaningful to me and the one that I think formed a big part of my worldview is No Exit and the Flies. And the more the more you think about the ultimate themes of those stories and, and what they're trying to say, the more complex it gets. And it can feel very simple. I mean, everybody knows uh, in No Exit, he says, hell is other people. Right. But, you know, so is love and joy. And so is that fellowship. So is all of that. And, you know, part of the crux of Sartre's thinking is this idea that you can think however you want about yourself. You can feel like you're 100% in possession of that set of characteristics. You can say, I'm a good person. I'm not a racist, for instance. But, you know, somebody else sitting right across from you who you're telling a joke to might think, no, this guy's a racist. You know, you, you were never fully in possession of who you think you are. And you need to consider that is something that can be transcendental and can be liberating when you understand that, you know, hell is not just other people. I mean, other people do make you think about your lackings, your failings, and that's a big part of social media. Mm. That's just such a clear example. But, you know, other people also tell you things about yourself that you would never think. You know, sometimes somebody tells you you're a good person, you don't even know how to take it or gives you a compliment. You don't know how to take it. Yeah, man, I didn't realize that meant so much to you. And that kind of examination of the human condition and the relationships that we have, I feel like is just as endlessly fruitful. It constantly produces just a new awareness of like the closeness that we have. And that's why it's hell, because sometimes that closeness leads directly to that anxiety about who you think you could have been and who you think you might be. And it is devastating to realize you don't reach that for some people. And there are some people you really want to respect you. You know, you really want them to love you or whatever. And you might find out later on, like your friend who just didn't want to be a friend. It's a devastating feeling. Oh, yeah. You play it off well. And you're the most adult person I've ever met because I feel like you were an adult when we were 14. Um, no one in my family would agree with you, but thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, this is why I really feel comfortable just even having this conversation. And then the flies as part of it. I'll just wrap this up, make this real quick. But, you know, the existential hero, the guy who takes on the flies, the guy who is basically he's not a Pied Piper, but he is the one that you know absorbs the burdens and the suffering of everybody around him in order to make their lives better. And, you know, we live in a world where I feel like that is such a distant concept and something that we don't have a a grasp of anymore. And that selflessness is something that I always related to so much and felt like was so important in my life and never expected from other people. But listen, if somebody's got to take the heat, I'll take the heat. If it needs to be done and if it makes your life better, then I'm willing to do that. Like that is something I feel is 
imminently important and you know essential to our relationships, essential to to love in the world. They really, I mean, all these books, it sounds like, helped create your worldview, but you make a compelling argument that particularly No Exit combined with Coffee and Cigarettes seems to have had an impact on you. Yeah. Some similar themes there. There you go. And I think a lot of the punk rock that I loved, and especially bands like Lagwagon, those themes are universal. It's why Sartre could write about them and why they're still relevant and why it's something like No Exit. If you read it now, I haven't read it in probably 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. But I might pick that up now because I want to revisit that. But all those themes and all those like anxieties, existentialism in general, is present in punk rock in a way that it's more distant in other types of genres. You know, other bands talk about very important things, but like the expression of it, you know, it's almost like punk rock is kind of like an expressionist genre of music and it brings it alive in a way that expressionist painting does. You know, it makes you feel something. Yeah. And then if you can get the message combined with that, I mean, it's the best. There you go. And that's what we get with Trash. Thanks for talking about it with me, man. It means a lot to me that you yeah. uh, take the time to do this. I'm glad we were able to schedule it and make it happen. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Absolutely. And that is Luke Horlbeck. I mean, that's so Luke. If I seemed like unimpressed or like kind of blasé about his incredible monologue at the end there, just casually weaving together existentialism and punk rock and making it personal and true and sincere. If I seemed like I was just like, yeah, whatever about that. It's because like, that's just Luke. That's just talking to Luke. He will just casually be amazing like that. So fun talking about this album with him. Like talking about the album Punk and Drublick with my friend Steve Guile, who we mentioned on this show. There's just some of these albums that in our friends group, they're just... I, yeah, I can't really overstate the impact, the influence that some of these albums and bands had in my life and in like the, you know, the, the network of a lot of the people in my life who mean so much to me. So thanks for joining us. Oh, and speaking of people that are in my network that mean a lot to me, every time you hear me talk about guitar riffs as squeedly D's, got to shout out the Peak Brothers, Morgan and Jess, because I definitely get that terminology from them. If you like listening to Luke talk, you can listen to him talk a lot more on the podcast, Is It Safe? Question mark. Make sure you type in the question mark. Otherwise, you're going to get some other bullshit. I don't know. But you can listen to him, Steve Guile, his co-host, and the co-host from my other podcast, Cinema 9, Mike Govier, who someday will be on this fucking podcast. You can listen to them anytime you want to. They have lots and lots of episodes of them talking about, as Luke put it, sundry things. Uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe you want to come on the show and talk about an album with me that came out in 93 or 94. If you like Lagwagon, maybe you like No Use for a Name. The Daily Grind, their EP, came out in 1993. It'd be fun to talk about that. I'd even push it and talk about Leche con Carne with somebody if that was what they really wanted to talk about. that came out in 1995 it was recorded in 1994 it came out in early 95 we'll call that yeah okay sure if you want to come on and talk late jay con i'm down to talk about late jay con or daily grind 
Maybe even do a double header if you're really into both those albums. I don't give a shit. I just want to talk about these important albums and bands. And you can talk about a non-punk album if you want to. Anything you want to talk about. I don't care. You can email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook. Let me know what you want to do. Or you can just send me an email, say hello. That's fine too. Send me pictures of your dogs. Uh, my dog just jumped up on my lap while I'm talking here. And you can maybe... And he's like literally between me and the microphone practically all right scruffy should we wrap this up buddy he's yawning i'm gonna take that as a yes all right thank you everyone goodbye Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.